Bob Stoffer, what does a healthy presbytery look like? Uh, yeah, feel free to keep eating lunch and doing what you're doing, and we'll, uh, we'll talk around that. So um, let me pray for us before we start. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, for you are great and greatly to be praised. And Father, we uh, know that you love us as your people. Uh, you've called us as your covenant people. And beyond that, Father, uh, we know you deeply love your church because you call it your bride. And we know, Lord, that the church is the thing that's close to your heart. And, and so, Father, uh, first we come uh, needing to repent of some things we've made church and some things that we've done that uh, have not been of you and things that we've not done that are of you. And, and so, Lord, um, as leaders of your church, we ask for your forgiveness in those places where um, we've not been the leaders that you've called us to be. Uh, but, Father, we pray for your church. We pray for the bride of Christ. We pray, Lord, that it would be an instrument that you would use to change the world for your glory and that you would use it to build your kingdom in all aspects, um, in all facets of its life and of its uh, breath. And, God, we pray that in this day that all that we say and all that we do would be for your glory. But beyond that, Lord, it would be for the building of your kingdom, Lord, which you would make our passion in our heart you would make the thing that drives us every day that we get up and particularly uh, again father as leaders of your church in individual churches and presbyteries in the denomination uh, lord i i pray that the epc would be a, a shining light uh, for changed transformed uh, blessed uh, god-ordained activity in uh, your world for your sake and for your glory in jesus name we pray amen, amen. Well, there's many of you in this room that are uh, unfortunate enough to know me already. Um, but for, uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't, um, my name is Bob Stoffer. I am a teaching elder in the Presbytery of the Alleghenies and uh, have been a part of lots of things in the denomination. In fact, I was, um, I was in the first class ordained in the EPC. So this is my 41st General Assembly, which is both good news and bad news. You know, the, the bad news, of course, is that I've been to 41 General Assemblies, uh, and I'm old enough to do that. So um, the good news is I've got to see God start with a room full of people, um, and here we are 41 years later working out what it means to be God's people uh, as the EPC. Uh, I've, I've been in seven presbyteries. Uh, I know that sounds like a lot of presbyteries, but uh, because I was in the early days, I changed presbyteries four times without moving. So, <laughs> Now, it was curious. They drew the boundaries right around where I was each time so that I'd have to go to another presbytery. But, um, but I served on things like the Permanent Judicial Commission uh, for a number of years. I was the National Outreach Director when we had a National Outreach Committee, and kind of everything was centralized through the General Assembly office. Those were... Interesting days, obviously. Um, been a transitional pastor, uh, part of the Go Center team, um, and probably have, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, I was trying to think between uh, national outreach stuff and presbytery stuff and Go Center stuff, I've probably been in about 300 EPC churches. Um, so uh, the point of all this is that even I can figure stuff out once in a while. Um, you know, it's called the clue phone is ringing and it's for me. Um, so worked with a number of presbyteries. Um, 
I am still currently involved, some with the GO Center, the uh, National Transitional Pastry Team, which we'll talk about. Um, my official title is Church Development Coordinator for the Presbytery of the Alleghenies, and I'm also currently a transitional pastor at a, a church in western Pennsylvania, in Mercer, Pennsylvania. So, those are some of the things that I've done over 41 years. There's others, but it's boring even to me reading it, so uh, I don't need to share those. But the point simply being, um, it's been an enormous blessing to be in a position to watch what God has done over so many years. Um, and I'm, tomorrow I'm going to be talking a little bit about some uh, things related to church health on the floor, um, giving out the Bart Hess Award. Uh, I even knew Bart Hess, so that's, that goes back to the uh, first General Assembly days. So for those of you who have been in the EPC a long time, uh, because we were in the first class uh, ordained, we did not have presbyteries yet, so we were examined by the General Assembly. And in the front row was Andy Jumper, George Scotchmer, Ed Davis, and Bart Hess, staring intently at all four of us. Um, and so that was, uh, that was, the hair stands up on my arms thinking about it, because that was like, that's scary stuff there, right? So, but um, we're, we're going to take a look today at uh, what does a healthy presbytery look like? Um, obviously, it's been an interesting year, <laughs> right? I don't think we have to rehearse that. But here's something that I've learned over time, uh, not quickly, but I did learn over time, and it's this principle. God is always up to something. And he uses all things and all times in all ways for all of his purposes. Um, and so sometimes when we think something is going on, God is up to something new. And one of the things that I've uh, been thinking a great deal about coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, is that um, we could either uh, choose to see this past year as a threat or as an opportunity. Um, and it's easy to view it as a threat, right? Obviously, lots of people lost their lives. People are very sick. We can't minimize all of that. But, but I want to suggest in many ways it's an opportunity because I, I've called it the year of reset. It's, it's a time to pause, right? Everything was thrown out of kilter. Everything was kind of thrown out of balance. So for lots of churches, we're trying to figure out what life looks like moving ahead. We had some natural opportunities um, to reset, uh, a time to kind of recalibrate as churches. And I'm, my deep prayer for our churches um, is that we will really take full advantage of that time. We can really lean into it and ask the question, what is God doing? He's up to something, and he's up to something in our churches. Um, just one thing that, that I've been talking about with lots of other national leaders um, from other denominations, uh, one of the very interesting things that I see, see God at work doing is that I think that the future of the church will be the neighborhood church. I think we're actually going to go back to what the church was many, many years ago. As more people stay at home and work at home and interact with the people in their neighborhood, I think the church has an amazing opportunity to become neighborhood churches. And I actually think we have the opportunity, God willing, to see evangelism increase because we're going to serve and build relationships with our neighbors and the people around us and get to know them. So I'm praying that that's so. That's one of the things that I, I see God doing. So this recalibration, I think, can take place on the church level. And I think you understand, and many of you as church leaders are grappling with that. And what does it mean? And what does the future look like? 
Um, obviously, at the General Assembly level, uh, with Dean coming in, uh, those of you who don't know Dean, uh, strap it up, because um, it's coming. He's, he's a crazy man. And I think I'm being recorded, so he knows that this is being said. Um, but I'm very excited about what Dean is doing. And with the national leadership team and the people are kind of doing some reorganization at the General Assembly level, it's a natural reset time. So we see it at the church level, we see it at the General Assembly level, and so the question I want to ask today is, what does that look like at the Presbytery level? Um, Because it's the level we often don't think about in terms of uh, vitality and revitalization and all the opportunities uh, that we have. I I think the Presbyteries have the the opportunity to become the cornerstone of the EPC. Uh, In other words, they are at the center and the heart of activity, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. Uh, And if our presbyteries would kind of begin to take this seriously, uh, I think God could do some amazing things. So the reason I did this this way is... um, uh, I've done PowerPoint stuff in the past, and then people can't write fast enough, and uh, I didn't bring anything to write with, and it all went out the window, and you know that kind of stuff. And I've also, you know, done things other ways. But I've discovered if you put enough things on a big board, people will take pictures of it and take it home and send it to other people. So this is my uh, this is my attempt to be hip in my technology. So, and and. People in this room, Ray and others, know my sophistication in technology. Like, I send emails, and I can't believe they actually go somewhere. Like, you know, you hit that button, and they write back. It's, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. So anyway, all that to say, um, I'm going to kind of fill in this, but I put it up like this so that if at the end you want to take a picture or uh, have that for your reference, uh, that's great. So I'm going to start off with a couple of premises. And here's a couple of the premises that I want to be uh, foundational and kind of undergirding our conversation. Uh, The first is this, that the Great Commission is the purpose statement for the church. Jesus' last words before he leaves, Matthew chapter 28, it's marked, um, but it's it's Jesus' last thoughts, his words to the the people of God uh, before he leaves. And so I believe it's the purpose statement for the church. I also believe Jesus gives us a rough design for discipleship um, in the Great Commission. And thirdly, I think it really forms the scriptural basis for church vitality. So we're not going to go into that today. Um, we going to spend a lot of time talking about the Great Commission, and we can talk about that later. Um, but I want to say that what we're talking about here as healthy presbyteries ought to have a biblical foundation to it. If it doesn't have a biblical foundation, then we're just sharing information and talking in the wind. It really doesn't matter much what we're talking about. Um, I said the Great Commission also gives us a rough outline for discipleship. And what what I mean by that is this. Uh, In the American church, we've often come to believe that discipleship is about gaining more information. Right? And so we have Sunday school classes and Bible studies and uh, all the things that we do internally. And so we think we are more discipled if we know more information. And we think about discipleship in the context of information by and large. But I want to suggest to you that I think the Great Commission does something different. It provides us a different definition of discipleship. The discipleship is ultimately about transformation. And if lives are not being transformed uh, by the power of the gospel and by people living out their faith, then real discipleship isn't happening. And I say that because how does the Great Commission start? Go. It doesn't say stay, learn, meditate, 
think, ponder. Not that there's anything wrong with all those things, but we've made that what discipleship is about. And what I want to suggest is that discipleship is really about changed lives. If you're not seeing lives transformed with the gospel, if you're not seeing people come to Jesus in your church, um, then you might be doing a lot of things, but don't call it discipleship. I know that's abrupt and sounds kind of harsh, but I think that's what the Great Commission is telling. The dashboard for us is changed lives. And I don't think that's any different at the presbytery level. And I don't think it should be any different for us at the General Assembly level. That ought to be our dashboard. Are we helping churches? Are we equipping churches as presbyteries to be living out the Great Commission in the context of their lives? And then the third thing is that the Great Commission uh, points out that all good discipleship starts with going, not staying. Um, and so we let that be the foundational, the, the thing that drives us for what we do. So. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in the end, uh, and I do want to leave time for questions and comments um, as well. But let me, let me do a couple more premises for you here. Um, so two premises, the Great Commission and discipleship, meaning transformed lives, is the goal of our presbyteries. It ought to be the goal of every level of what we do, but that ought to be what drives us. And again, I don't always see that. Well, I don't always see it in churches. I don't see it all that much in presbyteries, and it gets diffused the more people and the bigger uh, groups. Uh, so those are a couple things, but uh, let, me, let me take on a couple of other things. I want to suggest this as another premise. A healthy presbytery reflects the values and initiatives of the General Assembly. A healthy presbytery ought to reflect the values and the initiatives of the General Assembly. Does that make sense? If the General Assembly says, here's where we're going, here's what's important to us, then presbyteries ought to reflect what the General Assembly tells us we ought to be doing. And so we know what the four values are of the EPC, right? What are they? Reformed? Presbyterian? See, we know them so well. <laughs> Missional? Evangelical. Okay? So in case you didn't know what the General Assembly told us was important... Those are the four things. We're to be Reformed, we're to be Presbyterian, we're to be missional, and we're to be evangelical. So, when we start any conversation about what a healthy Presbytery looks like, that's where our discussion ought to start. How are we as Presbyteries helping our churches live as Reformed churches in their communities? How are we as churches, as Presbyteries, helping our churches to live in a Presbyterian form of way? How are we as a Presbytery helping our churches be missional in what they do? And how are we as, a Presbytery, as Presbyteries helping our churches be evangelical? That, those four things, ought to drive everything we do. Now, here's my experience after 41 years in the denomination, being in all the presbyteries, all the things we've seen. Uh, do we do reformed well? Yeah, I think we do reform pretty well. Do we do Presbyterian well? Yeah, by and large, we're processed people and we do Presbyterian. Do we do missional well? Here are the groans. Do we do evangelical well? Well, uh, for example, our General Assembly statistics, and I haven't looked at this year's specifically, but kind of looked over the last four years, in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church as a whole, we are seeing less than one adult profession of faith per church per year. Let me say that again. 
I want you to feel the weight of that. <laughs> Less than one adult profession of faith per church per year. Now, there are lots of churches doing great things, seeing lots of people come to Jesus. But if you look at the statistics, you'll see rows and rows of zeros. Where not one adult profession of faith has happened in the church over that year. And here's what I want to suggest to us, brothers and sisters. That is not okay. It's just not. And so if we're going to empower our churches to be missional and to be evangelical, then we've got to have some focus on that at the presbytery level. Does that make sense? Agreed? If we're living out the values of the General Assembly to pass on to our churches, then that's something that we've got to put as a high value in our presbyteries if we want to do that. Then there's the four strategic initiatives, and we know what those are, right? Hopefully we know them better than the four values that drove us. Equipping leaders, world outreach, church planting, and church health, or church vitality, whatever we want to call that. Okay? And so, here's a thought. If we're going to be reflecting the values of the General Assembly, then those are things we need to pay special attention to. How are we equipping our leaders? How are we doing a world outreach together? How are we doing church planting in the context of the presbyteries? And how are we going about living out church health? So here's my premise suggestion today. And, you know, you can argue about all these things, but you can argue with somebody else. Don't argue with me. Or argue with Dean. Yeah, argue with Dean. That's a great idea. Um, um, but here's, the, here's what I want to put on the table. The question on the table for every presbytery should be, how is our presbytery living out the values and the initiatives of our General Assembly? Make sense? No? Yes? No? Yes. <laughs> if this is what they have said is important to us, then it's what we ought to be expressing at the presbytery level. And so... If we can accept that premise, and again, you may quibble with it, but we're not going to quibble today. We're just going to move on. But if you accept these premises, then it seems to me we ought to suggest that the role of the General Assembly Office is to resource our presbyteries well, reflecting the initiatives and values of the General Assembly. So General Assembly has a responsibility to resource presbyteries well. And if that's true, then what's the role of the presbytery? To resource our church as well in exactly the same thing, in those strategic initiatives, in those values that we're supposed to be holding dear. Um, and so we see that, that effect happening. And so today we're not going to talk so much about the General Assembly level other than these initiatives and strategic um, values. Uh, we're not going to talk a lot about churches, but what role does the presbytery... You see how critical a role a presbytery has then in passing these values and resourcing our churches to be what God has called us to do. And we have the opportunity to build healthy churches when we start building healthy presbyteries. And we'll be building healthy presbyteries when we have a healthy General Assembly office resourcing the presbyteries to pass down to the churches. So I, I want you to feel some of the flow of this that, that I think is a dynamic we've got to hold on to. So, <laughs> to sum up the premise, did I get them all? Yeah. So to sum up the premise uh, question, it's a healthy presbytery reflects the biblical values and initiatives of a healthy general assembly. A healthy presbytery reflects the great commission and lets that drive what they do. 
And a healthy presbytery sees itself as a resource for its churches to accomplish the purposes that the General Assembly has given to us. Now, again, I've been in most of the presbyteries. Uh, well, I've been in all of them at one time or another, most of them relatively recently. Um, but there's some things here that don't seem to line up with what we're saying, at least, is important. We are the evangelical Presbyterian church. Um, and so things are getting lost in the, in the shuffle here, if we're not very careful. We can get very bureaucratic about what we do rather than thinking about our missional drive as presbyteries and let that lead what we do. So I want to tell you a little bit of the story um, of how the Presbytery of the Alleghenies formed. Um, again, there are members of the presbytery, our presbytery here, Larry and Ray and some others. Um, who know that we don't do things perfectly. So this is the giant disclaimer of the week, right? It's not that we've figured out everything or have it all together because we have lots of things we goof up and we're learning. But there are some things we have learned along the way that if they can be of value to you, that's awesome. If not, then figure out another way to do it. But my encouragement, the big encouragement of the day is Let's together commit to reflect the values of our denomination, and let's commit together to reflect the strategic initiatives of our denomination as we resource our churches well. So um, it became apparent in our part of the, the world, Western Pennsylvania. Um, those of you who know Western Pennsylvania well know it's kind of like a hotbed of Presbyterianism. Um, and so uh, there was lots of Presbyterian uh, churches around, all kinds of things in the early days of the uh, EPC that were flying around. <clears throat> but we realized uh, after a period of time that um, uh, some momentum was being gathered to start a new Presbytery of the Alleghenies. Some of you don't know, there was actually an old Presbytery of the Alleghenies that folded that I was a part of. <laughs> um, Again, you can make whatever correlation you want from that. Uh, but uh, the new Presbytery of the Allegheny started with a group of about uh, 11 churches, I think. Um, so we were, there were churches forming in the Allegheny from the east, from mid-Atlantic, and from the Midwest Presbyteries. Um, so we did all the things thinking about borders and all that stuff. But there were a group of us at the very beginning who thought, this is interesting. We have the chance to start from ground zero to form a presbytery. Right? Not all of you have had the blessing of being able to do that, right? But we thought, well, let's, let's think about this a little bit. What do we want our presbytery to look like? If we, I mean, we know we're in the EPC. We know these are the values and things that are important. But what are the unique things that we might be able to do um, right from the beginning that give us a foundation for moving forward? So several of us did some uh, studying about uh, what presbyteries look like in the founding of the United States. Um, we had a couple of garnet. Um, we had a couple of historians who loved looking at the history stuff. I couldn't even find the books, but they outlined the pages for me. Um, so we started looking at it, and something very interesting began to emerge as we looked at the original presbyteries of the United States. And what was interesting to us at this is we found over and over again, they said that there should be no more than 10 churches in every presbytery. And they said it over and over and over and over and over and over. So we paused, thinking they might be talking to us, um, and said, what does that mean? Why is that? What does it look like? Any of you have any guesses why they said that? Yeah, good. Maintain a relational point of view as opposed to an organizational point of view. Relational versus organizational. Exactly right. Those were words that they used. 
What other words did you think they used? Accountability, possibly. A lot of accountability, yep. They used language like low bureaucracy, high mission. They said, once you get past 10 churches, you're an organization, not an organism. And we went, well, that's interesting, considering we have 11 before we start. Um, so what does that mean for us? What, is that, what does that look like? Um, but the point we took away was we've got to be very careful as we try to accomplish the strategies of the General Assembly that we don't fall into a trap where it becomes about bureaucracy, where it becomes about getting the stuff done. And we hold on to the idea of high missional values. What will really drive us is the mission, is the evangelical part of who we are, is the church planting part. So when we began to think uh, about what we wanted our presbytery to look like um, back in those days, and we are now, how old is our presbytery, Ray? 10, 9, 8, 7, 11, 12, 4? Yeah, 10, that's what I was going to say. Uh, we're 10 years old now, um, and so we've kind of lived this out over time. But these were the early days, very first days, uh, when we had a small group of people. These are the things we said were important to us, and I've kind of outlined them up here. Pillars of the church of the, of the Presbytery of the Alleghenies. First, we said <clears throat> that church vitality has to be at the heart of what we do. In other words, our purpose as a presbytery is to help bring vitality to our member churches. And whatever it takes to do that, that is the priority. Not fifth down the list, not tenth down the list, but that ought to be what drives what we do because that's what a presbytery ought to be doing. The second thing we said is evangelism needs to drive what we're doing. So we're talking about being what? Missional and evangelical, right? And so we will basically think about our success, if that's a word that we can use, by how evangelism is going in our member churches. Are people coming to know Jesus? That's the dashboard for us to think about as we go ahead. And how can we equip and train and prepare our member churches well to do evangelism? The third thing we said was that um, taking these words of the founding fathers um, into, into perspective, we said what we want to do is form our presbytery around ministry networks. And by that we mean uh, ministry networks are geographical networks for us. Um, so I'm in a, a geographical ministry network, uh, North Pittsburgh group. We have 19 churches in our ministry network. And so in, we meet monthly, we support each other, we change pulpits, we exchange ideas. Somebody will go on and say, hey, I'm stuck here. What do you guys do? Here's resources. Here's all kinds of things that we can do together in ministry networks and fellowship together uh, geographically. Now, we have the advantage of our geography being a little smaller than some of yours, but I still think this idea of ministry networks can really be central um, to what we can do. We're finding now that we're beginning to do a lot of things. For example, we're doing our church planting now through ministry networks. Um, and we're doing our fellowship together through ministry networks. And so ministry networks, I think, are an idea that could really help um, presbyteries think about what they're doing well. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. And then the final thing is a shared foreign mission, uh, which you all know we call Engage 2025. Um, and so our um, mission together is um, in the country of Sierra Leone. Samuel. Stand up and say hi. <laughs> Samuel is our in-country director um, for Edge Nations. We have, how many EPC churches we have there now? 
six, six EPC churches in the nation of Sierra Leone, uh, kind of their own little presbytery and schools. If you want to know what we're doing in Sierra Leone, it's awesome. Uh, Samuel is a gift from God, and uh, we are blessed to have him, and so he's here to share, but love to have you find out more about that. Um, and so we have poured <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars into starting schools um, and starting churches in 100% Muslim villages. Um, in fact, we have now taken an unreached people group off the map um, by our work in Sierra Leone. Uh, so anyway, we saw that as collectively we want to do that together, and we want to do that. So one of the ways we've used the ministry networks is each of our ministry networks um, have adopted a village in Sierra Leone and adopted a school in Sierra so you can see, So the ministry network is actually re, re, um, living out the values of the presbytery. Um, but they're doing it in a way that they're smaller and accountable and ways to think about evangelism and missions. So those were the things we said. These are the pillars. We want, whatever we do, we want to build around this. And so in our church development committee currently, um, in our church development committee, uh, the president of the Alleghenies, we have 19 people and five subcommittees uh, that reflect these values. So a team of people within our church development committee is working on each of these strategic initiatives um, to try to live that out. Let me talk a little bit about the goals, and I'll take a breath, and we can uh, talk about this a little bit, because there's a couple other things I want to get to, but um, a couple of goals. One is that we uh, wanted to make sure that the Presbytery leadership team was not just seen as bureaucratic, but missional. We're thinking about missional kinds of things. Uh, originally, we, called, we were called the Executive Council, which sounded a little uh, bureaucratic. Um, and so we changed the name of the team to try to sound more missional. We want to lead in the values and the strategic initiatives of the denomination. Uh, second, uh, the Engage 2025 thing we've talked about. Um, I don't know what all of your presbyteries are doing there. Um, that's kind of out of the uh, uh, under the world outreach for us. Um, but it's become a rallying point for our presbytery, and we've seen God do some amazing, amazing things. Third, we recognized early on that if we were going to hold up missional thinking and evangelism as a priority, then that cause needed a champion in the presbytery. Somebody needed to be thinking about that all the time. In other words, if somebody at the presbytery level is not championing those causes on a consistent basis, they get lost fairly easily. That was the good news. The bad news is it turned out to be me. Um, and so the way we started, I was a church planter at the time, and the way we started was uh, the presbytery came to me and said, would you be willing to give us a quarter of your time? So do three quarters of your time in the church planting side, quarter of time in, um, in church vitality staff. Then as the presbytery continued to grow, I went from quarter time to half time to three quarter time uh, to full time. Um, and then back to three quarter time, but that's another story. But here's, here's, my, here's my plea to all of you, my case to all of you, and we'll revisit this again in a few minutes. That if you don't have someone at the presbytery level championing church health, and vitality and evangelism, it will get lost. Um, and we have resources now at the General Assembly level to help with that. We can talk a little bit more about that. Um, but consider the possibility of your presbytery bringing on someone uh, to champion this cause. Uh, the third thing we talked about was uh, low bureaucracy, high mission. I think I kind of explained that. Uh, 
we have a very, we found over time we have a very high trust of the work of our committees, uh, which is a good thing. So we don't have to spend a lot of time rehashing stuff. If the committee brings something out or approves something, it has a high level of trust within the presbytery. So try not to get caught in a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, the other thing at the very beginning, we wanted to be serious about gatekeeping. And you all know, what I mean, we all took in all these PCUSA churches, right? And it, there for a while, it was like, I, I don't know about your experience, but we went from 11 to 70 some real quickly <laughs> and processing all that. But we wanted to be very serious about the gatekeeping part. And so uh, we required a couple things, the uh, church, an elder exam um, for those coming in and then um, our church health seminar. So every church coming in had to go through the church health seminar and had to go through the gatekeeping process of the examination of their elders. And we can talk more about that um, later. But we also uh, wanted to be able to, to be sure we were screening not just for theology, but for church health. And I don't know about your presbytery, but we found it could be very easy to bring in a lot of unhealthy churches um, just for the sake of bringing them in or because they could answer the theology exam or whatever it happened to be. Uh, so we wanted to be very careful about that. Uh, the next is clear viability standards. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but by viability standards, we found that um, it's for churches that are in serious decline, it's very hard to start the conversation about you need to do something different <laughs> or you're going to die. Um, and so we spent some time thinking about this because we realized that if we didn't have a way at least to start the conversation, um, then we were going to have a hard time uh, dealing with these churches that were dying. And so we developed uh, viability standards. If you go to um, uh, our, our website is epcalleghenies.org, and then under resources, uh, we have our church development committee manual. Uh, and then that we said, so here are the things. If your church is at this level, you need to be having very serious conversations about the what next. And if you won't have them, we give ourselves permission to come in and have them for you. Now, that's not punitive. You know, we, we weren't coming in the sense of saying, we are really looking to close more churches. We were coming to say, our prayer and our hope is that you will choose to get healthy, that you will choose to, to go the path of vitality, and we can help you do that. And if you don't, it's just a question of time before you're going to find yourself, the last person turns the light out. Um, so, again, not meant to be punitive, but to be encouraging and to do that. Um, and we've just closed several churches in our um, presbytery because they just didn't pay any attention to what we were saying for a long period of time. Now, the good news is about an equal number said, whoa, you're right. We've got to do something different. And they're doing something different, um, which is really encouraging and going through our church health process. Um, the other thing is uh, transitional pastoring uh, is required. And what we mean by transitional pastoring, the old language that we used in the PCUSA and other places was what? Interim pastors. Okay. Now, we, we started looking at that and thinking about that and came to understand that interim implies a time period. Because the church wants to know, how long will this goofy person be here until we can get a real person? Right? And their instinct is, we need to do that as quickly as we can, and that's why it's an interim. And the shorter the interim, the better off we're all going to be. Okay? And we said, well, 
Let's try to think about this differently. What if we thought about this not as a time period, but as a church health process? Uh, because transitional time is the perfect time to introduce church health principles into the life of a church. One, they're looking for the help of a presbytery. Two, their natural rhythm is already upset. Three, they're probably needing help in church vitality and mission and evangelism and all the things we're talking about are important, but don't know how to get it or what, like what church did you ever see wake up one Sunday morning and go, you know what, we really just need to stop what we're doing, evaluate mission and vision and value and how are we doing in evangelism and how are we doing in church? They don't, right? So this is a natural time for us to be able to pour into this process. And so uh, we came to say... Um, that we needed to train transitional pastors in this process. Um, by the way, it's also using the language of our church health process. So we're using the same language in transitional stuff as we are in church health stuff. So they keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again, and eventually they, they begin to get it. But we actually took the step uh, in our presbytery of saying that when a senior leader, leader leaves, a church must have a transitional pastor. It's a big step, right? I know some of you are going like, well, that's a little squirrely in terms of bureaucracy and stuff like that. Well, okay, you deal with it however you want. But for us, it's been very liberating. And the transitional period has become a church health period for our churches. Um, and so we've seen God do uh, some amazing stuff there. Uh, next is church health coaches. Um, we've really come to recognize that we gave, for many years, we gave a lot of information to our churches. And we somehow assumed that by giving them information, that things would somehow turn around. That we'd give them enough information to go, oh, okay, that's all we needed. Let's, let's just do what they said, and we're going to become a healthy church. Well, we found out, surprisingly enough, that's not necessarily true, right? Because teaching, um, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is to give knowledge. Training is to give skills. And so we did a lot of teaching, hoping they'd get it, but we found out that it's really coaching that makes the difference. When a church can help have a coach walk alongside them in their church health process, um, all kinds of amazing things begin to happen. So we'll talk about that. Uh, again, consistent language. Uh, consistent language between our transitional pastors, our church health process, uh, the language that our leadership team uses. Uh, and then our church health manual, uh, I have one with me, but again, if you go to uh, epcalleganis.org, uh, under resources, it has our CDC manual. Uh, I've had a number of presbyteries call me and say, uh, can we use your manual? And yes, you're welcome. Take it, use it. I wrote it. It's, you know, the ravings of a lunatic, so take it for what it's worth. Change it, move it, do whatever you want. But we've tried to take most of these principles seriously in our man and we have found that the manual has saved us again and again and again and again, both in viability standards and mission and vision and evangelism, all the things that we said uh, were important to them. And then the last thing I have here is um, no term limits on your presbytery committees. And I know this may be right next to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but I was reading in Hezekiah 9, and it said, don't have term limits on your presbytery committees. You can look it up, Hezekiah 9, it's either 3 or 4. Um, here's what's important. What, what we found happening is good people who wanted to stay and be a part of our church development committee or our ministerial committee turned out, and then they left. And apparently the secret is 
don't tell anybody coming after you what you did before. <laughs> so the committee had to start all over again to figure out what they were doing with people who were trying to figure out, while people who got it and wanted to serve were not able to serve. So uh, there is no language that says our presbytery committees have to, I mean, unless you have them in your bylaws, um, whatever. But there's no language that says there's term limits on committees. Uh, so again, um, We've had people on our CDC for a long time who love doing it, are passionate about doing it. So why make them get off for some arbitrary number or term or whatever it happens to be? Um, and so uh, again, we have, uh, I think we have 18 or 19 people on our CDC now uh, in, divided into those teams. So let me take a, a semi-breath there. Um, to get a drink of water, I have a couple other things I want to share, and then kind of the uh, where where do we go from here flowchart. So, any questions, thoughts? How big is Allegheny? Seventy-four churches. <clears throat> yeah. Any any questions from now on? Ray Canat was the clerk of the presbytery for many years. <laughs> if, it, if it involves a single number, I'm out. So. Um, yeah, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tom. Yeah. Um, I've had the privilege of being in two, uh, three former East USA churches. And we're, and every one of those churches has asked this same question. So I'm going to ask, I pose it to you. And uh, they're asking, okay, we, we kind of get reformed and we get Presbyterian. And we sort of get mission, as long as it's overseas. <laughs> and as long as it's a checklist, long, we get it. As long as it doesn't involve us, yeah. But what is evangelical? And when, when you start to talk about people coming to Christ, transform lives the other way, we're just not there. We kept keep, keep finding congregations. You know, I was on CDC at that point, and congregations coming in really excited about being in the EPC, but not having a sense of our ethos and not being able to define that term. Can you understand? Um, I can. Anybody else want to feed in first? Chickens. Okay. So here's, here, here's the perspective I would take on this. Again, for me, one of the most significant dashboards of a healthy church is our people coming to Jesus. I would say the most significant, a, a very significant aspect of a healthy presbytery is, is it equipping its churches to help people come to Jesus? Um, my experience is, and I think our statistics are bearing out, <clears throat> that very few people in our churches really know how to share the gospel. And partly that's on the church and the church leadership. Partly it's on the people. I'm not casting blame anywhere. I'm just stating it as a fact. And so we kind of came to the place on our church development committee where we said, well, the one thing that we can do to speak into this evangelical part is if we're not training and teaching churches to do evangelism, then we're part of the problem, not part of the solution. 
and I think we, we probably have not done enough of that over our early years, but we have, actually we have an equipping uh, time coming up in October, is it October? Sometime. Um, we're bringing in some folks um, from the West Palm Beach area. Um, it's a group of folks, Southern Baptists, my son-in-law is a part of them, uh, but they have made a commitment to plant 100 churches in 10 years in the West Palm Beach area. That's their vision. And so about, they're about 19 months in and they've planted 27. Almost all strictly through evangelism. And if you know West Palm, it's one of the most unchurched areas, heavily Jewish areas in the United States. So what they said is, well, one thing we're going to take away is the excuse nobody ever taught us how to do it. And again, people feel comfortable sharing their faith stories or whatever, but to share the gospel, it's incredibly rare for me to walk into churches where they're doing that training or where that's a part of the ethos and life of the church. So we're bringing these folks up. Uh, they've written a book called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. It's an amazing book that just is a little short thing that teaches people how to share their faith. And they even have an app you put on your phone uh, that you can walk through the gospel story on your phone with an app. And let me, let me put it another way. I can do it. That tells you all you need to know, so how, how easy it is. And it even has a way is if you completely chicken out, you hit play and set your phone in front of somebody, and it shares the gospel story for them. Um, but it's a very simple, brilliant way to share the gospel. So we're taking steps to say, at least we've made our best effort to help resource churches to resource their people to do evangelism. So evangelism to me is making the priority uh, at a national, presbytery, and church level, this idea of teaching people how to share the gospel well. Again, we're reformed. We know God's going to do what God's going to do. He's responsible for the results. But if we're not faithful in at least being able to share the gospel well. Um, so I went to, I won't tell you where I was. doesn't matter where I was. I was at a session. I said, here's what we're going to do, guys. I said, I'm going to say go, and you have five, this is, so we had uh, nine elders sitting around the table. I'm going to say go, and you have five minutes to share the gospel. And I pointed to one, I said, go. Well, I was born, no, 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 I don't care where you're born. That's not the gospel. It's not in, it's not in John, Luke, Matthew, Mark, right? It's not in there. I want to hear the gospel, the gospel story faithfully declared right now. You're an elder. You got to be able to do that. Not one of the nine could do it. And I don't think that's all that rare. And the fact that it, again, that burden can be shared at personal levels. Christians ought to know how to share their faith. It can be shared at church levels and session levels. But don't let it rest at the presbytery level where we said we never helped you understand how to share the gospel. So that's kind of my thing on evangelism. We're evangelical when we can share the gospel and when our dashboard is people are coming to know Jesus. Okay, any other thoughts, questions? I'll keep rolling. I can go all day. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, just first of all, I appreciate your Tim Lesser approach to sharing your information. You know, one the days that I can floor to floor to floor. Anyway, um, secondly, I know this is kind of a different direction. I totally uh, appreciate where you're going with this. Another thing that I would really like to see at a Presbyterian level is Presbyterian kind of intervene when a pastor is having trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. When there's 
they you know that um, you know opposition and things are going awry with the administration. Somebody from the ministerial care committee to kind of step in and act as a buffer. Yes. So let me speak to that. So there's a ministerial committee side to that, but there's also a church development side to that. When churches are struggling or having problems, we find when we go in to deal with church health issues that often it's a pastor who's really hurting. Um, and we particularly find that we found this with our viability standards that I talked about before. Pastors were so frustrated, but they didn't have language to be able to say, we got to do something different. Or they said, we got to do something different, but they didn't know what different was. Um, and so when we've gone in to talk about, uh, talk with churches about their viability standards, one of the outcomes of that has been to be able to find and identify pastors who are struggling or maybe ruling elders are struggling. Sometimes the pastor is the problem, we, you know, but to be able to identify some of those issues and try to bring resources to bear to help them on that. So that's, that's a great point. Absolutely. We need to be able to do that. Yes. Um. You mentioned closing three churches or whatever mm -hmm. um, and then dealing with whole vitality issues and to a degree, to have big back on the question was just asked, when you have churches that are not EPC or are not vital or are killing clergy killers, what is the um, mojo that a presbytery really can bring to bear if that church just kind of wants to be congregational. <laughs> uh, bye. <laughs> no, no. But do we even have that option under the Book of Order? No, we no, we've talked about this in our presbytery. We, 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 do we need an amendment? There was a church we were trying to kick out and couldn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds funny because they weren't paying a lick of attention. No. Ray can tell you the story. Everybody see Ray after. He'll tell you the story. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and, and we discovered that very thing. We have no way to kick people out. Um, they have ways to leave, but there wasn't anything we could forcibly do on our end. I, you know, that's above my pay grade, but um, it's, it's an issue. Yeah. Because we do find, we find a number of our churches that aren't Presbyterian or Reformed or anything at all, maybe as a result of having come in, you know, and there weren't a lot of gatekeeping stuff up front. So, yeah. Working within the, that jurisdiction, the potential for constructive renunciation of jurisdiction always exists in there. So if you have a church that is completely out of compliance with what is required in the Book of Order, and they're not even willing to discuss it, you can, in some ways, just write a letter saying, we consider this to be a constructive renunciation of jurisdiction. Please cease and desist all, all efforts of being part of the presbytery. Yeah, I think my memory of our situation wasn't that they were like intentionally, they just totally ignored us and wouldn't respond, wouldn't yes. do anything. So, yeah. That's a constructive jurisdiction. Okay, if you want to kick a church out, this is the guy you want to go. <laughs> Where were you when we needed you? <laughs> In the other direction, you talked about um, dismissing churches, but you also talked about the encouragement of having churches that, were, that said, yes, we agree, we need to do things different, and began to take steps together with you to, uh, to become more vital. Mm -hmm. How'd that work out? Because I, the, the, behind my question is, to what extent, from your experience, 
is, is what we're up against is the lethargy of the church, which is very real, very true. And, and, and as you say, we, we can do anything except evangelize. It's how they got there. Yeah. Um, we, and we all, by the way, we all have to say that evangelism is paramount, but we don't necessarily have to actually do it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Lethargy of the church versus the wall that you hit when you try to follow these processes and say we want vitality, we're willing to evangelize, and what you realize is it's a tougher job than, than you signed up for. So yes, uh, so my, the big picture answer to that is, again, we have a church health process. Um, you know, the seminars that we've done, all the things that we've done to build that in. But to your point, we found that when we had coaches interact with them, rather than just giving them a bunch of information and edicts from Ray sitting in his office in Ohio, um, the, the coaching was the key because there was somebody sitting at every session meeting going, listen, here's what you got to be thinking about or you're going to close, whatever. So the church health process that we have that we've worked through the presbytery and the coaching then became the key. So uh, we have seven church health coaches now in our presbytery trained. Um, I have a coaching manual. You're all welcome to look at it, whatever. Um, but we've taken people through this, uh, through this training. Um, and so I would say that we, we've done this now in about 10 churches in our presbytery. They were at that point, go either way. Uh, nine of them have flourished and, and really started. One said there was just, it was too entrenched, too dug in, and they closed. Um, so I'll take a nine to one. <laughs> so so then that was what I was looking for. So nine of the ten churches actually have committed, yes. got, gotten in partnership with a coach, and are actually drawing people into their church yes. through evangelism. Yes. Okay. So that's yeah, a little longer than that, but yes. Through our, our church health process teaches to focus on some part of your community intentionally. Um, and by focusing on one port, serving to build relationships to share the gospel, that's how people will come to Christ because they'll come through relationships in a culture and age of our day. So that's what the coach helps them do. Where are we going? What's it going to look like? Specifically walking them through the steps of evangelism, training evangelism, all that kind of stuff. So, and I'm going to come back to that here in, in just a second. Um, there, let me do a couple things real quick and then I'll pause for questions and process again. Um, one is... Um, you know, we've learned a lot. Um, we probably should have done uh, a lot more in evangelism and evangelism training earlier in our time as a presbytery, but we're catching up and trying to do some things. Uh, we can talk to you about that if you want to do that. Uh, probably should have used viability standards sooner. Um, here I can show you what our... Um, when you go to our website, this is what the cover of our... CDC manual looks like, so um, it's not super long, but it has all of our church health principles and all that in it, so you're welcome to steal it, look at it, change it, make it better, whatever you want to do. Um, and um, we probably, uh, you know, I, I, I would, I, now looking back, I wish we've gotten to coaching sooner. Um, because I'm kind of the coordinator, church health coordinator for the presbytery. Uh, so it was me and one other guy kind of running around, working our brains off, giving information to churches that 
Then we left them alone. We didn't leave them alone, but, you know, there's only so many you can do with 70-some churches. So the coaching is really now proving to be the thing that's, that's powerful. So let me, let me speak to um, something that's happening. Uh, can I have a couple of passer-outers? I don't mean you pass out. I mean you can actually pass out stuff. So, hi, boy, Dave. I knew you had it in you. Here you go, Ray. So a couple of, of, of fascinating things are happening. Um, and I, I, I've gotten permission to talk about this a little bit from Pope Dean. Um, I mentioned that uh, the General Assembly is now reorganizing around our strategic initiatives. Um, and so of the uh, equipping leaders, church health, world outreach, um, and church planting, the four strategic initiatives, now they're bringing somebody on the General, staff, General Assembly staff for each of those areas uh, to oversee nationally. Uh, so I am becoming the National Church Health Director. I'll start in September, um, part-time. <laughs> Say that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All my parts will be there. Um, um, but it's going to be um, it's going to be really exciting to see what God's doing. So, here is our first attempt. Again, this is only in the church health side of what we're trying to do um, in terms of the strategic initiative. So, doesn't cover the other ones. They're they're on their own. Um, so here's what we're looking at. Uh, a General Assembly health, church health director to train, equip, support presbytery church health coordinators to establish church health principles for vitality, effective transitional ministry, developing transitional pastors, and evangelism training. Um, so what we're saying is that um, this will be my role at the General Assembly level, helping presbyteries. My focus will primarily be in presbyteries. So my prayer and my hope is that I can help your presbytery think through some of these issues or answer questions or help in any way we can. But again, what we found is unless there is this champion, I don't know where we are in this thing. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So uh, what we found is that, that if we can really move ahead stronger if there is someone in each presbytery that we're calling a coordinator who can help champion these principles that are important to us. And so one of the things we're asking presbyteries to do is to think about bringing on a church health coordinator. Again, it may be quarter time or half time or part time or maybe it's a retired pastor who really wants to give time. I don't know who that person is and maybe prayerfully even as I you know, talk about this, there may be somebody in your presbytery that comes to mind in uh, thinking about a position like this. But we want the, ch the coordinators then uh, to lead church health development for churches within their presbytery and train and support presbytery church health coaches. Because again, our conviction is that uh, if you don't have a champion for this in your presbytery, it's hard to uh, make it go. And I think this might be true for all the initiatives, but I can't worry about them. Um, the second part of the Presbyterian Church Health Coordinator is um, to help be there for uh, instruction uh, and to be there for implementation as well. Uh, because we've come, I've come to believe that the key to successful revitalization comes in the training and the coaching. 
That's when it gets down to the church level, then you're starting to make a difference. So ultimately, we want those coordinators to be finding, identifying, training coaches within the presbytery who can work uh, with the church. Um, and then the other thing is, <clears throat> um, I'm also uh, part of a very small group of people who are kind of doing the um, national transitional pastor team um, because we believe that this, this transitional period and the process that we have can be one of the most important church health opportunities in the life of a church. Um, all the doors are open for us to really make a significant difference. Um, and so uh, what we'd like to be able to do, if you would have us, is uh, invite us in to do a transitional pastor training for your presbytery. So in our presbytery right now, we have 17 transitional pastors training. Um, and we still don't feel like we have enough. Um, in the last week, I've had four calls in our presbytery for transitional pastors. Um, so um, it's, I call it the giant whack-a-mole, right? You, you fill one and another one pops up. You hit one and two more pop up. Uh, and we have about 80 people trained nationally um, to do this as well. So there may even be some people in your presbytery. But would love to be invited in to do a transitional pastor training uh, to talk to your presbytery both about the value of what this time can be for church health and to help us nationally create a pool of people uh, to do that. And so the purpose of the coordinator then, champion the... Um, the uh, strategic initiatives and to champion the values of the EPC, uh, help build a church health network by the development of coaches, and then, uh, then the coaches are the people who then work with the churches and are there on the ground. Uh, because again, training is about the acquisition of knowledge and coaching is about the um, acquisition of skills. It's when we get to the coaching part, we're really making a difference. So this is, um, the big picture of what we would love to see happen nationally on the church health side. Um, and, you know, your presbytery may be doing some other things. Okay, let's adapt those. Let's rework them. Whatever works best for your presbytery is fine, but at least we have a structure to try and bring both church health principles and evangelism skills through the director to the coordinators to the coaches who are then working with, with churches. Um, and then you see down at the end, those, those are the four initiatives. And, uh, you know, we've just hired the new world outreach person who I've actually not met yet. Um, Jerry, who most of you know, uh, GA office doing effective biblical leadership. Tom Ricks, church planting. So. Um, and then we put down there church. So what we're really dealing with is church vitality, transitional ministry, evangelism. And I put Revelation 7, 9 on there. They're not under this, but they're trying to do the same kinds of church health principles um, under that. So we have a relationship with them. So this is the where we hope to go part. So I'd love for you to, if you have someone in mind or, uh, you know, you want to talk to some people, just beginning the process of talking to presbyteries uh, about what this will look like. The Mid-Atlantic is splitting into three presbyteries, and we have a person in each of those presbyteries uh, that they're calling missional leaders now who will be doing that in ours. So we have Allegheny's Three Minute Atlantic. Uh, we have somebody in Midwest, and um, hopefully somebody very soon in the East. So, uh, anyway, would love for you to pray about that. Think about it. If you have input on this or whatever, then would love to hear your feedback. Uh, 